I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Avito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You, you want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps, and then they carry with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a thousand at a time. Please, don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. nwretention.com, that's nwretention.com. Use the promo code JESSE, get you 10% off. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. There are some stories you absolutely have to know. Have to. There are some stories that should be so firmly ingrained in your consciousness that they're just part of your culture. And oftentimes these stories will vary 
culture to culture. Lewis and Clark, the core of discovery, the initial exploration of the Louisiana Purchase is absolutely one of those stories if you're an American citizen. It is such a brave, cool, important part of your history. It's, it's on par with the signing of the Declaration of Independence. It is up there. It is a story you have to know. As you know, I geek out on this stuff. Reading, documentaries, podcasts, you name it. I love it. And occasionally, as you well know, I will force my children to watch brief things with me if I find a good documentary on something. But I usually turn them loose after 10 or 15 minutes when they're dying as I'm going over World War I battlefields in France and they're just miserable. <laughs> However, there are some... I will make them sit there silently and watch the entire thing. If I get a good Lewis and Clark documentary, and there are a few of them out there, they're watching, period. I don't care how miserable you are. It is important not just to honor the men on that journey, but to know that part of your history. You and I have to know the great parts of our history, and I will tell you, I think it's important for the future of this country. I'm not telling you to know it just because it's cool. You can't know where your nation should go unless you know where your nation's been. Unless you realize what it took to build what you and I luxuriate in. And let's be honest, we do luxuriate here. Don't ever let that be lost on you. And I think I think we lose sight of how difficult it was for America to become America as you know it today. Uh, the the Louisiana purchase was enormous. And you forget Even post-Revolutionary War, okay, we're a country now, we're independent, we're who we are. We owned like a third of the continental United States of America. A third, and that's honestly, that's probably being generous now that I think about it. It's probably a fourth or a fifth. Here was the situation on the ground. The Louisiana Purchase. Well, for one, let's go over what was permanently Spanish territory. We're going to start at the Lewis and Clark Expedition and work our way back just a little bit, just to give you a map. All right, picture in your head, map of the United States of America. For once, you don't need to Google image search this. I'm assuming you have a pretty good idea of what it is. You know the eastern seaboard. Okay, that's ours. Spain... Owned, and this is at the time of the expedition of Lewis and Clark, Spain owned Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California. Now, that's rough. Those state lines weren't drawn yet, but for our purposes, that's what you need to know. That was Spanish territory. The country of Spain owned it. 
Oregon and Washington and up into Canada was considered Oregon territory, and that was more complicated and disputed. We're not going to deal with that for the time being. Everything else in the middle, and I mean everything else, the the entire middle portion of the United States of America, Rocky Mountains, North Dakota, South Dakota, all that stuff, all the way down to, you know, Louisiana, that was all held by France. France owned it. It was French. There's a reason there's such a massive French influence in places like New Orleans. Not only did France own all of that territory, they owned New Orleans, and it was a humongous trading post. Now, this is going to play a part in our story. What were the French doing there? They were doing a couple different things. The big thing they were doing was fur. The fur trade was lucrative beyond anything you can possibly comprehend. Pelts like beaver, that was the big one, were everything. We're talking guys made their fortunes doing this. And you know how these things start. It starts with a trapper here, a trapper there. Soon there's some enterprising soul decides he can start a business. I need to employ all these trappers and start sending beaver pelts by the ton back to Europe so people can make coats and hats and so on and so forth out of these things. And it was, you need to think of it like discovering gold or oil. It was that lucrative. And they used this Louisiana territory to gather furs. The French famously, very famously, had mostly an outstanding relationship with Indian tribes in this territory. Obviously, there were, all, there were always some disputes here and there, but the French were actually really great at this, working hand-in-hand hand with the Indian tribes. Indians will help the French trap. The French would give the Indians things the Indians liked. You know, the French were obviously much more technologically advanced than the Indians, and you can listen to all that crap they tried to teach you in school. Of They really just preferred a, a buffalo hide and a piece of stone. Oh, shut up. They wanted metal knives and hatchets and kettles and and wool blankets and important parts of society, too, like anybody else. They're not dumb. Uh, Yeah, that metal knife's better than my wooden one. Of course. And it was a mutually beneficial relationship there. Very beneficial. Well, eventually, we've done a show on this before. Don't worry, we'll do others if you're worried about it. A war crops up in the Americas called the French and Indian War, or it's known as the Seven Years' War. You hear either one of those things, they're talking about the same war. Now, it was not French. It was not France fighting the Indians. It was the French joining together with the Indians, joining together with Spain, fighting against Great Britain. Fighting against them, what for? They were fighting for the rights for these furs and other lands in North America. And it was a vicious, vicious war for all that. France lost. Acquitted themselves very well, but lost. So France essentially 
loses the Louisiana Territory, but they don't lose it to Britain. Spain kind of worked a good deal where they were essentially given the Louisiana Territory. All right, well, we got to take it away from the French. They really led this thing. France, all right, it's, it's yours, okay? Just take it back. Well, now we have to cross the pond to events going on in Europe in the early 1800s. What event do you think or person in particular do you think would be dominating the headlines in Europe about this time? Hang on. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. HomeTitleLock.com. It can save you. It can save you. This is what's going to happen. And I know this is going to happen because this kind of stuff has happened to me time and again. I talk to you about something that can protect you. Something that's really bad out there right now. And cyber crimes up 75%. So it's really bad. And you delay. Look, I do the same thing. You delay. Ah, oh, it's fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll happen to someone else. And you delay and you delay and find it's going to happen to somebody. And I'm going to get that email. Jesse, uh, why didn't I listen to you? I'm so mad at myself. And I'm not going to know what to say. Get home title lock before they steal your home title and take a loan out against it. Not after. Go to HomeTitleLock.com right now. Use the promo code JESSE. It even gets you 30 days free. HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Jesse Kelly. Back soon. What's going on in Europe? Who's the headliner in Europe? Around 1800. Come on now. You know. A man named Napoleon. Even Chris got that one right. And he is, at this point in time, Emperor Napoleon. And part of the reason he's called Emperor Napoleon is he's busy kicking the crap out of everybody. And one of the people he's, well, one of the nations he's kicking the crap out of is Spain. Now, Napoleon, he has a difference of opinion with Spain on who should get that Louisiana territory. You see, Napoleon is all about that glory of the French Empire life. He says, hey, Spain, remember that territory that we had and then now you have? Guess who has it again now? Yeah, that's ours. This is why there's a heavy French and Spanish influence in Louisiana and especially New Orleans because they both owned it at one point in time. It was theirs. But as you also know, as I've told you several times when it comes to finance and other things, 
Trees do not grow to the sky, and Napoleon is not walking on water forever. At some point in time, he finds himself in a bit of a pickle and doesn't really doesn't really have a use for a huge chunk of land in the continental United States at this moment. What he has a use for is money. Wars cost money. Tons of it. Bringing us back to the United States of America where we have a man as president by the name, maybe you've heard of him, of Thomas Jefferson. That ring a bell, Chris? The third president of the United States of America, and it is important that you understand this. He considered himself to be an extremely enlightened individual. Enlightenment, enlightened people, they were the people of this era that really, really, really believed in diversifying yourself. You don't just, you shouldn't just be a warrior. You should be a warrior and a poet and a philosopher and a scientist. And, 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 and it, it was, it was, it was, it was a change in mindset at this time. It was, it really was. And as such, he viewed the United States of America as it currently existed. You know, it's very much an Atlantic Ocean nation. He thought that that was an extremely short-term thing. He didn't know what existed out west. Really, very few people did beyond the Indian tribes who lived there. But he did think we should own all of it all to the way all the way to the Pacific. They knew the Pacific Ocean was out west. They did know that. It's not as if they didn't know that. But I will tell you, Thomas Jefferson had books and books and books about the West. He loved to read about the West. He was fascinated with the West and his books. Thomas Jefferson thought there were still woolly mammoths out West. That's how little they knew. I heard somebody say, I can't take credit for this, but it's 100% true when you read it. And this is wild for us to think about. Absolutely wild. We know more, we knew more about the moon before we landed on it than we knew about the Louisiana Purchase in the western part of the United States of America before we explored it. Isn't that crazy to think about? That is unknown. And what's, what's wild is what we did know, the things we did know, lots of those things were scary. And lots of those things were real. There were rumors, of course, always, because there were French fur trappers and such, and we'll go into that in a second still out there. There were rumors of monsters out there, which turned out to be grizzly bears. But to them, they would have been monsters. Remember a grizzly bear? A grizzly bear today with modern firearms is very difficult to kill. You understand how powerful a 357 Magnum pistol is? It's gigantic. A huge round. And you do understand? It's not a big enough round to stop a grizzly bear. Look at a 357 Magnum shell. It's jaw dropping. You need a 44 Magnum, at least. These animals are so big and strong and dense and bone and muscle, it's just very hard to stop them. Now, stop one with a single-shot muzzle loader. 
as it's charging at you at 35 miles an hour. To these people, they were monsters. They'd never seen anything like them. And there were rumors and confirmed reports of dangerous, hostile Indian tribes, which turned out to be 100% true. Some of them. We'll go into that, too. Of course, it turned out to be my favorite tribes, Chris. But what are you going to do? What are you going to (laughs) do? It is what it is. So, Napoleon needs money. Thomas Jefferson has an idea as he's expanding the United States of America. He's looking down at New Orleans, this port of New Orleans, this very important busy port right there on the Gulf of Mexico. Think of all the things that gives you access to. And he wants it. And the French have it. So he sends a guy named Livingston across the ocean to negotiate with Napoleon not to buy the Louisiana Purchase. He sends the man across the ocean to buy the port of New Orleans. He just wanted the town. And the man is authorized to spend $10 million on just the port of New Orleans, which is an absurd amount of money back then. That was probably equal to the entire federal budget back then. That was huge. Well, this guy gets there, and he finds not only will Napoleon sell us the port of New Orleans, Napoleon says, look, I don't have anything to do with this stuff. I'm busy over here. Look, for $15 million, I'll give you the port of New Orleans and the whole daggone territory. America says, sold. We will take it. Something like two cents an acre, I believe, it came out to. The greatest land deal by a mile in the history of mankind was made by the United States of America. Doesn't that make you feel better about us in capitalism? I mean, think about how much history we've covered. The greatest land purchase ever right here at home. We did it better, baby. Capitalism. It's awesome. With one stroke of a pen, Thomas Jefferson more than doubled the landmass size of the United States of America. More than doubled. Well, this is awesome, right? This is great news. There were complications, though, and it's important you understand this. Spain, they were a little salty about losing the Louisiana Purchase the way they lost it, and there was a lot of Spanish resistance to it. France also. Now, France obviously was under Napoleon. Napoleon sold it. But remember, the French weren't twiddling their thumbs when it came to the Louisiana Purchase. There were French explorers and trappers all over the Louisiana Purchase. They had set up towns, really, Along the river, along the Missouri River, as you would. That's what happens when people move to an area. Eventually, you join up, you live together for safety and prosperity. That's the human condition. So now you've got to deal with that, too, if you're Jefferson. Possible hostile French people who don't necessarily think the United States of America owns this. So you got to figure out what you're going to do. Hang on.
never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Part-time job, full-time hustle, all-time Shiro to all of us. You nurture, we listen. You teach, we thrive. You lift our spirits, but we've got to lay down the truth. It's time for you, our Shiro, to stretch for the stars. Start saving more for retirement now so you can feel prepared and live your life to the fullest. Get free tips to help boost your retirement savings now at aceyourretirement.org slash Shiro. A message brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. There's a funny thing about land ownership, exploration and such, especially back in these times. It's not as if they didn't have legal documents and land deeds. They did. They did. But in these relatively unexplored areas, really uninhabited areas by Europeans, like I said, you had the Indian tribes, but even they couldn't fill up these vast, vast swaths of territory. That old saying of possession is nine-tenths of the law was really, really important. It was. If you're Thomas Jefferson, yeah, it is great news that you just doubled the United States of America in size. That's awesome. But you have got two really important things to do now. You had better figure out what you have because they didn't know. And you had better get some people on it because the French were already there. And remember, the British were eyeing up everything they could get still at this time. We're talking 1800-ish. And to make it even more complicated, remember what I said the map looked like at the beginning of this expedition? Remember how often we've talked about how absurdly big Spain was? Spain. Still owns Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, California, Spain. Look at the map. Spain owns a third of the country right now. And Spain owns Central America. Spain owns all of South America except for Brazil and I think a couple other little places where Portugal had. You've got to worry about the Spanish who still have their eyes on it. And remember, we still have a war coming with the Spanish over Texas and Mexico and all that. So, you're Jefferson, you've got to figure out what you've got. Well, Jefferson is just the man for the job. Because Jefferson is a scientist, an observationist, an explorer. I don't know what you want to call him, but he's a man who's dying to know what's out there. And it just so happens he knows a man just like him. Much younger, Jefferson was this man's mentor, father figure you would call it, but he knows the Lewis family. The Lewis family was another kind of, they were an aristocrat family, neighbors of Thomas Jefferson. The families knew each other well. 
and Jefferson knew one of the Lewis boys named Merriweather very well. Now, it is important we go over this about the Lewis family. The Lewis family was aristocratic, but this was an era, in my opinion, this is a better era, this is a better way to be in the Americas, especially the aristocratic families were not the ones who sat on their rich butts looking down at the troops and the working man. If you were an aristocratic family, it was expected you would not only serve your country, you would be on the front lines. We're aristocrats. It's our job to look out for people who aren't aristocrats. That's actually how it's supposed to be, Mitt Romney. You don't sit back and send others to fight. If there's an an important fight to be had, you pick up a weapon and get on your fancy horse and sally forth, my friend. That's how it's supposed to be done. That's how societies are supposed to run. It's not just you and I who have to go fight and die. It's the rich people, too. It's the rich people leading. It's how it's supposed to be. So, Lewis is a military man. He's a military man. The Lewis family and Lewis himself, Jefferson wrote about this extensively. They suffered from depression. Now, I do not personally suffer from depression, probably because I'm too narcissistic for it, but there is a real thing out there with depression. It's been misunderstood forever But it does affect whole families. It can be, I mean, whatever that chemical imbalance is, it can be hereditary. And Meriwether Lewis suffered from it greatly and would find himself in a real alcoholism slash depression funk often. He had a real drinking problem as well. A lot of people say it's because he was so absurdly intelligent Highly intelligent people in general suffer from substance abuse problems more than lower intelli- lower people of lower intelligence. Obviously, that's not universal. That's a generalization, but the numbers are what they are. You find life boring. You find life unfulfilling. You find yourself more intelligent than the people around you. That's very boring, and you turn to things that make it more interesting and make you feel better. It's a sad state of affairs. Nevertheless, it's real. So Lewis was an accomplished military man, a real writer. I mean, the guy, is look, he writes like a professional writer. A, an absurd scientist when it comes to observing nature and things out there. Detailed journals. One of these guys, I I could never be someone like this. Absurd levels of detail. You send Lewis out for a a five-mile hike in the woods, he comes back with 50 pages of notes about this tree and this weed and how this shape was and the sound this squirrel made. And he was one of those guys, very much like Jefferson. Jefferson loved that about him. Jefferson grows up, or Lewis grows up, Meriwether Lewis grows up under Jefferson's eye, under Jefferson's wing. Jefferson thought so highly of Meriwether Lewis that he brought him in when he became president as his personal secretary. That's a great honor and a very big deal and tells you how highly uh, Thomas Jefferson thought of this man. He, and he's an explorer. He's a man 
who had spent time in places like Michigan. Remember, Michigan at this time is the freaking frontier out west. And we need to pause for a minute on this. You remember how America was an eastern Atlantic Ocean country now? You want to know how Atlantic it was? Two-thirds of the American population lived within 50 miles of the Atlantic Ocean. It wasn't just the colonies. Everyone was on the water. And things west of that, Ohio, Michigan, these places were wild, dangerous frontier places where you're putting up military forts to keep settlers safe and You're trying as a young nation, and remember, possession is nine-tenths of the law. You're trying to push your people out there, incentivize people to go out there. Hey, just uh, 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 move to Ohio. We'll give you five acres. Just please come here. You have to occupy that territory. And Lewis, in his time in the Army and otherwise, had spent time exploring this place, had spent lots of time with Indian tribes, one thing that's totally, it's totally misinterpreted in history as are in these lame government school history classes is that, you know, Lewis and Clark had never seen an Indian before till they, till they, till they went up the river. They spent all kinds of time with Indian tribes. Part of the American experience up to this point in time was dealing with Indians. Oftentimes, obviously not always, oftentimes in a friendly mutually beneficial manner. Obviously, there were plenty of cases where there was a a more warlike, aggressive tribe or something went wrong with this tribe or wrong with that tribe. But these guys were used to dealing with Indians. Lewis is the aristocrat, the fancy, educated aristocrat explorer. And at one point, he serves under a man named Clark. Clark is the sibling of Revolutionary War legends. Clark is not formally educated like Lewis. However, he's a very intelligent guy and a a supposedly tall, strong, very capable military man. Hang on. Missed out? Catch up. JesseKellyShow.com Ebb sleep. It will give you outstanding, natural sleep every single night. Because it's not sleeping pills. It's not a new pillow. It's not a mouthpiece. It's something that actually goes after the reason you can't sleep. I know what it is. I know because I've been there. You can't turn your mind off. I know what it's like to lay there and stare at the ceiling and just scream at your mind, shut up, I'm tired. But it won't. Ebb sleep, you put it on. It applies precise, continuous cooling to your forehead, putting you asleep faster and keeping you asleep because it calms those thoughts down. Go to tryebb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Don't forget to use the promo code jesse at checkout. That gets you 25 bucks off. 
Lewis serves under Clark, and it appears that it was more than just a commander and underling relationship. These guys, for whatever reason, maybe because they were similar in a lot of ways, maybe because they were opposite in a lot of ways, these guys became very, very, very close friends. Very close friends. Clark, again, not the formal education, but complimented Lewis in a lot of ways. Clark was probably more steady emotionally than Lewis was. Like I said, you know, Lewis was prone to depression and such. Clark was a crappy writer. Clark's writings are littered with misspellings and such. You know, the formal education wasn't there. However, Clark was an outstanding artist and When you look at some of the things he drew, he could draw outstanding pictures of plants and animals. Lewis sucked at that, but Lewis was a great writer. They just, they complimented each other in a lot of ways and became very, very fast friends. Clark was a veteran, combat veteran, accomplished man, and thought very highly of. So, you're Thomas Jefferson. It's time to pick the man to lead this journey, he picks Meriwether Lewis. Meriwether Lewis, in turn, says, I need a partner on this journey. This part of the journey I find to be really, really fascinating. Lewis not only asks Clark, and you can see the letter to this day, to join him, and it's clear the affection he has for the man, Clark, of course, writes back, yes, how honored I am to do so. Of course, I'll join you on this journey. But Lewis shares command. Now, remember, this is not a private endeavor. This is a military endeavor. There are some private people on here. And don't get me wrong, it's a volunteer basis. It's not like they pointed to Private Johnson and said, hey, guess where you're going? But this is a military unit. This is a military thing. You don't ever share command, ever, because it it comes with all kinds of problems. But you share command on purpose with somebody, you have a unique working relationship with this individual. Kind of a funny side note to that story, the Army, because it's the government, of course, tried to screw Clark over never officially made him co-commander, said he was only a lieutenant, but Lewis didn't acknowledge that and just said, no, 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 he's he's co-commander. And they began the process of recruitment. Clark, we should also point out, had a slave with him on this journey, a man by the name of York. Apparently, he was a big, strong dude and... I couldn't find much on their relationship, but what I could find was it did not, it seemed to be a very close relationship. He was more of a companion, it looks like, than a slave. And I guess, having never owned a slave myself, I guess that would exist a lot lot of the time, just the regular humanity of that. They appear to be friends, honestly. That's what it looks like, but again, I can't speak to it. I don't know. I wasn't there. But you need to find some dudes for this. They are given a budget by Jefferson. They're essentially given an open check by Jefferson. 
And you have to figure out, one, how you're going to get west. And the actual purpose of the journey was, yes, they wanted to explore. Jefferson wanted to know what was out there. He wanted to know about the Indian tribes. He wanted to know the friendly ones, the angry ones. He wanted to know what the territory looked like, the animals. The, he wanted to know all of it. But what the overall purpose of the mission was, was Jefferson wanted a connected waterway from the east to the west. He wanted one continuous connection from the Pacific Ocean back to the rest of America, which would have been an absurd boondoggle when it comes to trade. Think what that means for trade. Think of the port you could put at the coast of the Pacific with a bunch of riverboats set up to shuttle things back and forth. It would have been absurd. Now, eventually, we got the railroads, and they took care of that for us. But water, as we talked about a lot, water was, that's how you did trade back then. That's how you went to and fro. But Lewis and Clark went looking for volunteers. They were only looking for outdoorsy types, to put it mildly. They wanted troops, sergeants and privates. They wanted outdoor types. They wanted brave men. They wanted men of honor. They wanted men who could handle different things. And when I say different things, you have to picture this. There's about 25 guys who are recruited, and they're supposed to go clear to the Pacific Ocean and back. There were more initially. I'll explain that in a little bit. But 25 guys. There's no 7-Eleven. There's no small town with a hospital along the way. There's nothing. The comparison to the moon is honestly one I'll probably keep coming back to as we go through this story. You're going to the moon. Hang on. goldalliance.com slash jesse. That's where you need to go. Not tomorrow. Not later on this evening. Now. You need to go there because you need to begin the process now of getting a gold IRA. Not because you love gold, although you may. Gold's awesome. Because of value. Because of protection. You wouldn't take every dime you had and throw it in an open suitcase and chuck it on your front lawn overnight. Why? Because you don't risk all your wealth like that. Well, what do you think you're doing if all your money is in stocks and bonds? That's what you're doing. You're hanging it all out there and you see what's happening in these markets. And we have an election coming up, which always throws things off. Go to goldalliance.com slash jesse. That's goldalliance.com slash jesse. That could even get you up to five grand in free gold and silver coins. What I mean when I say you're going to the moon is there's nothing there and you have to diversify who you're bringing along. Um, you need somebody who can handle medicine. 
as such as medicine was back in the day. You need a blacksmith. You need a hunter. You need a fisherman. You see what I mean? You need to plan for everything. And they did. They're cobbling together this group of men who were extremely diverse in their skill sets. Important. One of the things that fascinates me most about this trip, and it's probably something that will bore some people to tears, I find it fascinating the stuff they had to pack for it. I watched my wife agonize over packing for a weekend with the boys. What do you pack for two years when you know there's no such thing as resupply? Hang on. Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. I've already gotten a couple questions about the medicine and why I was dogging on the medicine. Do you want to know the main medicine they use? And I mean the main medicine, like they stocked up on it. They were called Rush's Thunderclappers or Rush's Thunderbolts or Rush's Pills. They were called a lot of things. Um, it was just a laxative. A laxative that contained large amounts of mercury, which is poisonous. And they would take these things whenever anything happened and just basically spend the day crapping themselves. The answer to your question, Chris, is no. It, it, that, it is actually not effective. It turns out you can't poop out everything you get sick with. Um, it's funny. They have tracked parts of the Lewis and Clark expedition from the mercury left in the soil from things the men left behind. So, like I said, it was a rough, it, it was, it was rough. <laughs> it was very, very rough. And they stock up on all kinds of things. They stock up on the best weapons. They stock up on a little mini cannon for the boat that Thomas Jefferson and Meriwether Lewis designed. You can still go look at drawings of it to this day. I believe they called it a keel boat, if memory serves me. They had a couple big canoes that went with them as well. And they stock, this keel boat could hold 12 tons of supplies. They had these huge shotguns with them, four of them called blunderbusses. The cannon itself didn't really shoot cannonballs. It would shoot 16 musket balls, which is awesome. That would do some damage. Again, 
How do you pack for everything? It's an expedition of exploration. But there's almost no question there's going to be some form of combat somewhere along the way, right? You have to hunt. You have to fish. You have to defend yourself against thieves, possibly defend yourself against Indians. And you have to trade with the Indians. Jefferson told them, You will inform the Indians that they are now under the jurisdiction of the United States of America. However, you will be friendly with all of them, make peace with all of them, let them know they're going to be left alone. And I I can't stress this enough. For the most part, that's how the journey went. It was Lewis and Clark working hand in hand with the Indian tribes and getting along very, very well with them. In fact, Indians are responsible for the survival of Lewis and Clark, which we will get to. Fascinating journey. But Lewis and Clark set out. Remember, the Spanish are mad about this. The French are mad about this. But here's the thing as we wrap up for today obviously i accidentally went a little bit too long and we're going to have to continue this tomorrow the french and the spanish didn't stop it either and how can you claim to be a great empire if you can't stop things like this from happening within your borders are you great Or are you great in name only? How powerful are you? Let's go back to the greatest empire of all time by a mile, the Romans. Do you think if the Carthaginians decided that a piece of Roman territory was theirs, And they were just going to go put together a big expedition and just go explore their new territory that they've claimed. How far do you think they'd get before they were hanging on Roman crosses? Either you're an empire or you're not. Part of being a powerful nation, a powerful empire, is making sure You can't be abused within your own borders, not just from the outside. There's always trouble brewing from the outside. But part of being powerful means not being abused within your own borders. And more than anything, doesn't this whole thing show Spanish weakness at the time? French weakness at the time? They knew about this expedition. They wanted it stopped. Couldn't do anything about it. I look at what happened last night after the Breonna Taylor announcement that there wouldn't be any charges for the police officers. And I look at the riots, two police officers shot in Louisville, riots in L.A., just standard stuff. I saw the same video you saw of a U-Haul truck Pulling up to Louisville ahead of the grand jury announcement, a U-Haul truck pulling pre-prepared signs out the back that said abolish police and things like that. We now have, not days, months 
of organized, paid-for, civil unrest within our borders that has resulted in billions of dollars in damage and death. Let me ask you, what does that say about us? It's not as if you have to be a king internet sleuth to figure out so much of this is organized and paid for. If we can't stop this stuff from happening within our own borders, what does it say about us? By any measure, this is left-wing domestic terrorism. That's what you call burning, looting, killing, assaulting, intentional civil unrest. This is domestic terrorism. What does it say about us as a nation that we haven't stopped it? It's uncomfortable to ask, isn't it? Can you think of a single powerful empire in the history of mankind that would allow this? The only empires I can think of that would have something like this going on were empires that were about to crumble. This is Bolshevik stuff in Tsarist Russia. That's what this is. Why haven't we stopped it? Not only have we not stopped it, we don't really seem that interested in stopping it. We have the director of the federal law enforcement arm, Christopher Wray, director of the FBI, just in the past couple days giving testimony before Congress saying, Right-wing terrorism is the greatest domestic terrorist threat? What? Don't tell me about the greatness of your empire when you can't stop the animals from committing domestic terrorist acts. If you're really a powerful country, You find the people responsible for organizing and financing this immediately. You slap handcuffs on them and you throw them in a dark hole for the rest of their lives. And might as well say something that's going to get me in trouble. If the person you find who's responsible for organizing and financing domestic unrest in your shores happens to not be an American citizen, you send them somewhere else for eternity. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Like a stain on your brain, you can't get out. You need to have some gold in your portfolio. You just do. Look, Be smart. You understand what's happening in this economy. You understand what the Fed is doing. They're already talking. I saw it again this morning. They're already talking about inflation, warning people. In just those words, inflation is coming. And how could it not? The Fed... 
They've been pumping trillions of dollars in unbacked currency into the markets. That story only ends one way. There are laws in economics. You can't do that. Not long term. If all your money is in stocks and bonds, when we have business closures like we've seen, the Fed doing what it's doing, you're crazy. Again, I'm not telling you pull it all out. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But get a gold IRA so you can diversify. Please don't get crushed. Go to goldalliance.com slash jesse. That's goldalliance.com slash jesse. Jesse Kelly returns next. Nothing more awkward than having your stomach rumble when you're in the room with someone else and it's only one other person because you can't blame it on them. And don't, don't be gross. It was just a stomach rumble. My stomach did that thing. And Chris is like, are you hungry? And it was like, wow, I didn't realize you can hear that. That's embarrassing now. Also, let's be clear about something when it comes to this Brianna Taylor thing. She wasn't laying in bed. She was at her drug dealer boyfriend's home. It wasn't a no-knock warrant. They knocked. Her drug dealer boyfriend gets in a shootout with police. Police return fire. Brianna Taylor, standing in the hall beside her boyfriend, gets hit. Okay. You can argue that's a bad shoot, that's a bad shot, all that. I mean, fine, if you want to argue that. That's certainly not a crime. You're not going to charge a cop with a crime over that. Otherwise, you're going to lose all the police officers. You can't do that. But we have done this thing now for so long where we're pushing these lies on people. And we're honestly, we're abusing people with these lies we push on people. That every time there's a deadly encounter between a police officer and a black person, that it's some kind of racially motivated thing and we have to burn down cities and loot and riot. and uh, What? We never can pause for the facts now? And we've pushed it for so long. The entire American media wants a race war, so they dive all over it. The Democratic Party wants a race war, so they dive all over it. The other cultural institutions, sports stars, movie stars, musicians, they're all in general morons, so they're not going to look into the details of it, so they dive all over it. Corporations always want to go for the woke points now, so they dive all over it. And soon, you have what we have now, which is a society where Facts don't matter at all. I almost feel like we waste our breath. I almost didn't even tell you that stuff about Breonna Taylor not being in bed. Because what does it even matter anymore? What Honestly, what does it matter? No one cares. Nobody cares about the facts. Nobody. They don't care. And this is one of the things that It's so frustrating about being a person on the right, and I know you feel it too. You can point out the rampant hypocrisy of the other side, 
until you're blue in the face, and they don't care. You can point out facts to the other side. They do not care. Well, this is how I feel. Wait, what? Are you a teenage girl? I don't care how you feel. Tell me what's real. Tell me what's not real. And look, it's okay to be mad about the police doing something. It's okay to be wrong about what the police did. It's not okay to vandalize loot and murder. And we've somehow, we've somehow made that culturally acceptable. You can't even get professional athletes like LeBron James to condemn the shooting of two L.A. cops. When he was asked about it, you know what he said? No comment. So it's okay to be mad about it, but you as a nation cannot allow these things to go on and remain a nation for very much longer. You simply cannot. And I know this is difficult. I know it's really difficult when it comes to an election and things like that. I really think Donald Trump should have stepped in and done something about this by now. I think he should have invoked the Insurrection Act, sent in the National Guard. I don't think you can, for fear of things looking bad, for fear of losing an election, I don't think you can allow civil unrest like this to take over within your borders because this stuff spreads like the bubonic plague, as you've seen. Remember how all this started? You remember? Do you even remember back that far how all this started? This started with George Floyd in Minneapolis. Doesn't that seem like 10 years ago? That bad internet video of George Floyd? Looked terrible for the cop, and frankly was terrible no matter what. But the autopsy shows Floyd had, you know, lethal doses of fentanyl in his system, dies of essentially heart failure, and none of those facts mattered. The cop doesn't have any history of racism, and none none of those facts mattered. It began back then, and because Minneapolis didn't control it, it began to spread. And then that city didn't control it. And then that city didn't control it. And then that city didn't control it. And now you have a wildfire. And now civil unrest, looting, rioting, burning, whenever a black person is in a bad confrontation with the police is now the expected outcome because it's not been put down. You can stop these things before they start. You remember Lancaster, Pennsylvania? Where that dude came out charging the cop with a knife and the wife beater. I know they're all blending together now. Cops respond to a domestic dispute. They had body cams on. The guy goes charging out of the house with a gigantic knife. Cops have no choice but to put the guy down. They put the guy down. Boom. Of course, civil unrest, looting, rioting, everything else for one night. Everybody gets tossed in jail. One million dollar bail. Wow. Those riots and protests moved on after one day. Amazing how that works. You have to nip this stuff in the bud, and you have to nip it in the bud early. Or you're going to get what you're going to get, man.
and I don't want the United States of America to be like this. I'm looking at a headline. Anarchists unpack U-Haul truck filled with riot gear in Louisville after Breonna Taylor verdict. Antifa and BLM protesters could be seen unloading shields, riot gear, and signs from the back of a U-Haul. Many were dressed in all black block as they clamored around to get the gear. Shields! We got shields, a voice yelled. This is according to the post-millennial, by the way. Protesters with shields blocked Louisville police cars in the streets, standing in front of the cars and refusing to move. Democrat lawmakers have claimed both both that Antifa doesn't exist and that there are no highly organized efforts to facilitate street violence in America. Obviously, you can see that there is. It's happening all across the country and we're allowing it. You're telling me our legal system, our political system doesn't permit us to throw somebody in chains until we are given the information we need about who is organizing and financing these things? Come on, of course it does. You sure found a reason to arrest Kyle Rittenhouse in about five seconds and slap a murder beef on him. Looking more and more unjustified by the day as evidence comes out. Don't tell me. You just, well, there's nothing we can do. Bull crap. Yes, there is. And it looks bad as a country if we don't. Put this stuff down. It's been going on too long. But I guess the question is, can we? When you have the entire culture and one of the two major political parties openly supporting this, can we put it down? And let's be frank. I remember John Corrin's Juneteenth bill. It ain't just the Democrats. I know what you're going through when you're not sleeping. I understand. You lay down. You want to go to sleep. You can't. You can't turn your mind off. Then the anxiety starts to creep in about the fact that you're not sleeping, and it gets worse and worse throughout the night instead of better. Then the next day, you're in a bad mood. You're tired. You go to bed that night. You really want some sleep. You can't sleep again. And then again. And then again, and soon you're on three, four days of a few hours of sleep a night, and you're just a zombie, and you're miserable. And then what do you do? You take a sleeping pill and sleep like 14 hours that night. And then you get up and start the cycle all over again. I know. I I know what you're doing. You're nodding right now. You're like, well, that's pretty much it. I know. I've been there. You don't have to do that anymore. Go to tryeb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Change things for yourself. You can. It's right there. Joining me now from the great KABC in Los Angeles, host of the John Phillips Show, John I'm having a hard time this morning 
when I look at this months of civil unrest in America, I'm having a hard time justifying how we're going to last much longer as a nation if we don't have the balls, willpower, power to put down this kind of organized, paid-for civil unrest. What even are we? Well, for every action, there's a reaction. And we have an election coming up. And I don't think there's an advertisement that President Trump could put on television that would work out better for him than having these riots on the screen every night. There was a a race for L.A. mayor in the 60s or 70s. It was Tom Bradley, who eventually became the mayor, was an African-American police officer who was kind of like the Obama before Obama. He was like before his time. And he ran for mayor against this guy by the name of Sam Yorty, who was a conservative Democrat. And Yorty saw this guy, Tom Bradley, really nipping at his heels. And what Yorty did was he paid essentially actors to drive around the San Fernando Valley, which was then almost entirely white, with the black power flags on the car and uh, people standing up in a convertible with the black power fist being held. So everyone in the San Fernando Valley saw that, and it had Bradley for mayor signs all over it. Now, they weren't actually Bradley supporters. (laughs) They were working for Sam Yorty. And everyone talked about what a dirty trick that was and how that swayed the election and that upset everyone in the San Fernando Valley. It's happening right now, but it's not a dirty trick. It's completely legitimate. And if, if, if Joe Biden and others think that there won't be a reaction to this electorally, I think they're crazy. It, it really is the ultimate Mexican standoff scenario in that Democrats know nationally They have to get 88% plus of the black vote to win an election. They've simply divided up the population in that way. They need that much of the black vote to win. They feel like they can't be really that against these protests and maintain that black vote. What should they do? I know you're not a Democrat, obviously, but let's say you were. Let's say you're Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi. How should you be handling this? Because you're right. People who are in the middle look at this stuff. They're horrified and they blame Democrats. Well, they should get off Twitter because if, when they're on Twitter, they're, they're listening to liberal white journalists who have a totally different attitude about these things than people who live in black neighborhoods or Latino neighborhoods. People who live in areas with crime, like the police, they, they know what happens when the cops leave. The, the areas get taken over by gangs, there's shootings, it's just really an awful place to be. So they think that they're by, by staying silent, they're appeasing the black voters. I don't think that's true at all. I think they're appeasing people in the, in the media who are to the left of the media Democratic voter. Okay, so you think this is just a Democrat media alliance bubble thing, and I've argued that that's actually a very big danger for Democrats, that they never have to encounter an opposite opinion of theirs unless they seek it out. Yeah, but as a result, they get horrible advice. Yeah. And, and that's what's happening. I mean, Biden is of the belief that if he comes out too harshly against these protesters, that it's going to depress black turnout. And I don't think that's true. If he comes out too harshly condemning the protesters, he's going to get ripped on MSNBC and CNN and and those places. But I don't think that black voters would react negatively to it. And here's the other thing, too. 
What you're seeing play out in these cities is going to cause a massive population shift. I'm already seeing it in California. Even though California is deep blue, we still have more Republicans than any other state in the nation because we're just so much bigger. Mm-hmm. I have so many friends who are selling their homes who are moving out of the state right now or last month or the month prior or plan to do it next month. And they're moving to states that are almost entirely purple. They're going to Nevada, Arizona, Texas, uh, Florida, Georgia, places like that. And they're going to vote in those states. Well, their vote doesn't count in California. But suddenly you have this mass population shift, this exodus of Republicans, of conservatives from California to all these other states. That could be the margin of victory. Do you see that as being a national trend and possibly furthering the nation's divide. And what I mean by that is the red states are about to get redder and the blue states are about to get bluer. Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. Uh, You're already seeing population shifts, uh, not just here in California, but I mean, if you lived in Oregon or you lived in Seattle or you lived in Chicago, uh, you're going to get the hell out. And now that we have the pandemic, I mean, those two things combined, where if you have a job that allows you to work from home, you can live anywhere you want. Why would you live in San Francisco if you're a Republican and you're under attack every single day of your life when you could live in Idaho or some other place? So, yeah, I mean, we population is always an accordion where people live in the cities and they move to the suburbs and they go back to the cities. But what we're going to see now is we're going to see people not just move to the suburbs, But now you can live in a resort area if you want to. You can live in a rural part of the country, have some land. You can do whatever you want. Why are you still in California? Uh, I have lived here my entire life. Uh, I'm a fourth-generation Angelino. My family was cow ranchers and avocado farmers. My entire world is here. Uh, I live in a place where I wouldn't be surprised if I was the only Republican on the block, but Hey, I used to work for CNN, so I know what that's like. Um, it's The weather's fantastic. The mm-hmm. restaurants are fantastic. And the people are generally nice when you talk about things other than politics. But it's getting to the point where it's almost too much for me. Explain to me why leftists can't turn it off. I walked by a group of, I mean, the, I don't have a ton of Democrats in my neighborhood, but there are some Walked, some, walked by some in a MAGA hat the other day just because it was the first ball cap I grabbed. And, of course, they didn't say anything to my face. But once they're about 50 feet past me, they had to start talking about Biden, doing that extra loud talking about it thing. And I found it to be so odd just because it would never occur to me to say anything, negative or positive. It was just a hi, hello. Why can't they turn it off? What is it? Because they live in a bubble, even if they live in a red state or a red city. The definition of what's local has fundamentally changed because of technology. It used to be that everyone was all up in the local newspaper. They, they were yentas. They knew what everyone was up to. They were concerned with what was going on in their town or their county. Now nobody cares about any of that because of your smartphone. So whatever communities you belong to online, that's local to you because it's on your phone in front of your face. So even if they live in Texas and even if they live in a conservative city, their entire circle on social media, their entire circle in terms of what news they read, it's all leftist. So they think that's the way the world is. They're completely ignorant to their own surroundings. Gosh, that is disheartening. Do you see anything positive coming out of all this? 
Uh, I think Trump's chances at reelection got better over the last week. Uh, so I think that that's certainly um, that's certainly a positive uh, thing to come from this. Um, it's all going to depend on how long the shutdown lasts. If you pay attention to what Fauci's saying, and he doesn't come out and say it, you kind of have to do the math in your head. But they don't want to open up the country until 2022. He said that that one year after the vaccine is widely distributed, that's when he would give his seal of approval on opening up the country for things like concerts, sporting events, movie theaters, churches, that sort of thing. If they keep this shut down until 2022, which is what I think they're going to do in blue states, you're going to see more of this civil unrest, more rioting, more looting Uh. on a regular basis because people are bored. They've got nothing to do. They're angry. The media fuels the anger. And when they go out and they burn things down or they loot, the mayors don't have the political will to stop them. John so there's Phillips. nothing in the way. John Phillips, everybody. Thank you, my brother. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, you know he's right. Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yeah. The Jesse Kelly Show. HomeTitleLock.com is something that you have to have now. And I don't wish that was the case. I wish you never heard of HomeTitleLock.com. I mean that. And I love them. It's a great company, great people. I I wish cybercrime wasn't what it is. The truth is, it's the future. The future is cybercrime. Those idiots you see on the street looting things, holding people up at gunpoint, those are the amateurs. You know what the pros are doing? You know what organized crime is doing? They're online. They're online because your info is online. Everything they need is right there. And they will steal your home title forge your signature on it and take a loan out against it and you will pay that loan back or you'll get evicted. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Don't forget to use the promo code JESSE. That gets you 30 days for free. want to give a nice shout out and a thank you to WYGC Central Florida Radio where you're now hearing the sultry sounds of what Chris what they get to hear my voice it's a big big moment for them <laughs> I will tell you this is going to be hard this is going to be hard to talk about okay because obviously we're talking about Gainesville now Talking about the Florida Gators. Ohio State Buckeyes. As you know, I was born in Ohio. I uh, bleed scarlet and gray. And the Ohio State Buckeyes were a dominant, undefeated team. Troy Smith was our quarterback. I was living in Arizona at the time. And Urban Meyer was coaching the Florida Gators 
and the national championship game was going to be held up in Phoenix. Glendale, I think specifically, but Phoenix area. I was living in Tucson about two hours away. And I was so confident, as most people were, that the Buckeyes were going to win that game that I decided to attend. And they beat the living crap out of us so badly that I walked out of the national title game in order to get a head start on the trip home in the third quarter. And the last thing I remember as I hung my head in shame walking out of the stadium was those freaking gator things they do with their arms. Dang it. What do you mean? What? Yeah, that's exactly right, Chris. They do the arm thing. And you know what? They had every right to. It was ugly. It did not belong on the same field with them. But look, I'm not going to lie. While I do like the Florida Gators, I'm still harboring some bitterness. I've got some, I've got some residual bitterness about that painful memory, Chris. It's like burying your dog. Your college, your team goes to the national title game and you just get abused like that. It was brutal. <laughs> anyway, you're thank you so much for taking us on. It's a great, great station. Thrilled to be on WIGC. Honestly, thrilled to be there. Not that I can say I blame you, but thrilled to be there. And for all you new listeners, Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. As you know, I read every single email you send to the show. I get way too many, so I probably will not respond. But even if it's hate, send it to me and don't worry Unless you explicitly say in an email to read your name, I'm never going to read your name and never going to read your email address on the air. But if you get like a funny review or, or, or say something interesting, I'll probably read it or at least talk about it and then give you no credit. I mean, look, that's my job, Chris. <laughs> I, like to, I like to piggyback on other people's opinions, pretend they're my own. And then, you know, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can't accomplish in this world if you're willing to steal other people's ideas and pass them off as your own. I mean, geez, obviously. Headline. Trust on the economy bolsters Trump in oh-so-close Florida and Arizona. We're about to have to have a little talk. And don't let your eyes glaze over. This stuff is important. This stuff is really important. Local elections, state elections, oftentimes impact the direction of the United States of America. And I'm talking specifically about Arizona here. A long, long time ago, 2008, 2009, 2010 era, I was living in Arizona, as I just said. I was pretty fresh out of the Marine Corps. Obama was running for election. I was furious about it. I'd never been politically active before, ever. Decided I was going to run for U.S. Congress. I ran for U.S. Congress, barely lost to Gabrielle Giffords a few weeks before she got shot. I lost by 4,000 votes. They had to recount the whole thing and everything. She gets shot. They now have to hold a special election where I ran, and I ran in a Republican primary. And a young lady, a former fighter pilot, by the name of Martha McSally, jumped in that primary and ran against me. There were a few other Republicans who ran against me as state rep or a couple other things. 
I beat all of them. But when you run against other people in a primary, you end up spending time with the other candidates because you have various town halls and debates together. And I am not saying this as a personal attack on her, but Martha McSally is quite possibly the worst political candidate I've ever seen in my entire life. She looks great on paper. Wow, it's a woman. We need to get the woman vote. It's a female fighter pilot. Man, that's just what we need. Let's get behind her. And the establishment types loved her. And I beat the crap out of her and moved on, whatever. And then she keeps running for office after I moved out of Arizona, eventually gets herself elected to Congress there. And then, because this is her, blindly ambitious, she decides she's going to run for Senate. And this is why it matters to you. Hang on. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic... <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Remember, this is not only me speaking here. These are everybody who has a personal interaction with Martha McSally will say the same thing. I'm not trying to be mean to her personally. I have an overarching point here. But she has the personality of a grizzly bear with an impacted molar. There's no charisma. It's unappealing. It's awful. And the national GOP and the Arizona GOP and all its wisdom decides they're going to take this person who looks great on paper and run her for United States Senate seat in Arizona. A seat that, remember, both Arizona Senate seats were held by Republicans for a long, long time. They put her up for U.S. Senate against Cinema, a Democrat, a Democrat who does the great middle-of-the-road thing. Of course, Martha McSally gets crushed. Okay, not ideal. You ran Martha McSally for a seat that should have been ours. She lost. Not ideal. We lost the Senate seat. Okay, whatever. We'll, we'll lick our wounds and move on. Hang on.
Jesse Kelly returns next. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. Martha McSally loses a Senate election. Cinema is a very, very good candidate. I don't know. I don't need your email. She's a nutball. I know that. She's a good candidate. You better set aside your hatred and be able to properly analyze the other side that you hate or you're always going to get your lunch eaten out here. Barack Obama, I hate him as much or more than you do, was an outstanding. Standing political candidate dripping with charisma. Donald Trump, for those of you who hate him, fine, understandable. He's a uh, an interesting personality. He's a, a political phenom and an outstanding political candidate. Sometimes you can't describe what that is. Joe Biden, no matter what way you want to look at it, an absolutely embarrassing, abysmal political candidate. Is not does not gin up any excitement whatsoever, especially now with his physical and mental disabilities. He just he's not a good candidate, period. I I remain shocked that it's possible he could even win. In general, it's very, very, very difficult to unseat a sitting president. It just is. But it's a crazy year, civil unrest. We had the coronavirus stuff. The polls don't look good. I can't form in my mind a route for Biden to be president. And frankly, if he gets elected, it really tells you where we are as a country. Not, and not in a good way, but it, it will at least be clarifying. Setting that aside. Martha McSally, awful candidate. Cinema, very good candidate. McSally loses. Okay, not the end of the world. We lost one of our two Senate seats in Arizona. All right, not good. Then John McCain dies. John McCain dies, and now you have a Senate seat open in Arizona. Only you're not going to have an election. The governor is going to... Pick a Republican and place them in that Senate seat. And I'm not trying to take a personal shot at Doug Ducey, who I actually know. He's the governor of Arizona. I'm sure there was political pressure from somewhere pushing him this way. But in a move that very well could cost us the presidency of the United States. Doug Ducey chose Martha McSally for that Senate seat? Now, why does all this matter to you? Well, now Martha McSally, in a Senate seat she didn't earn, is running up against Mark Kelly. Mark Kelly is the husband of Gabrielle Giffords. That's a notch in the belt. Mark Kelly is thought to be a pro-gun moderate. That's a lie, but that's still a notch in the belt if that's the way people are thinking. And Mark Kelly is a freaking card-carrying astronaut. That's a big notch in the belt because we in America love 
astronauts. They are revered in this country. And I know you're going to find this shocking, but Martha McSally is currently getting slaughtered in the polls by Mark Kelly. So now we're going to ask people in Arizona, we're going to expect people to go to the polls and vote for Mark Kelly and then Donald Trump. Oh, some will. Don't get me wrong. But Arizona just became a critical state. Setting aside the fact that the same person is responsible for losing not one, but two Senate seats from Republicans to Democrats. We need Arizona to go for Donald Trump in 2020. We are going to need that state, very likely. Local elections matter. Statewide elections matter a lot. They can be very, very, very costly if the party mismanages things on a local level. I'm looking at an article here about Alaska Senator Murkowski saying she can't rule out voting for Trump's Supreme Court pick. I mean, of course, she's probably going to vote no because that lady abandons us on every single decent fight. But again, you can complain about that now. Anybody out there want to do a rewind on how Lisa Murkowski got elected in Alaska? Let me break it down for you quickly. She had a staunch conservative running against her. The National Republican Party jumped behind Murkowski, abandoned the conservative. Now you have her, and now you have a lady who votes Democrat on every single major important issue. These elections matter. These huge mistakes made by the Republican Party matter a lot. They matter a lot. Now, I do need to give you all a dog update because you've been wonderful about these emails you've been sending in about what to do about my son's pet allergy. I'll tell you, we're keeping the dog. No question about it. We're keeping the dog. It's been relatively clear for my son. He's been okay. So we're keeping the dog. I hate that daggone dog. I don't. I've been petting it, and I even it even got a kiss out of me the other day. And because I am the man of the house, the dog follows me everywhere. If I'm sitting, the dog's under my feet. If I'm walking, the dog's following me. And uh, the wife and kids were marveling at that last night. You know, the whole family's there. They live and die for that dog every minute of the day. I ignore him most of the time. I sit down, the dog comes over to me. And I tried to explain to them, dogs are obviously related to wolves. They are animals. That kind of animal, it is used to being in a pack. And the pack revolves around the alpha male, period. This is not unique to my home. If you're the dude who leads the house... The dog is most likely going to gravitate to you. I watched it my entire life with my dad. You know, my rough, tough, gruff dad. Everyone else on the floor with the dog, playing fetch with the dog, hanging out with the dog. Dad comes home, yells at the dog once. The dog's at his feet the rest of the night. That's just how they are. It's an animal. You got to get used to it. 
All right, Chris, we're going to churn out some headlines and stuff here. I realize I've been a little lax at that this week. I should note, though, it is, what is it, Wednesday or Thursday? Is it Thursday already? Oh, man, it's Thursday. Oh, geez. All right. Listen, Gainesville. Listen, WYGC listeners. Every Friday on the Jesse Kelly Show is an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. I take emails all over the place. You can start sending them now. We'll have them stacked up, and I will answer your emails on the air. And I cannot stress this enough. It is really a screw-off, fun day. I think there's enough heavy stuff we all deal with during the week, especially now politically. We really try to make that day fun. So your questions can obviously be political. They do not have to be. In fact, there's probably a better chance I'll answer them if they're not. If you want to ask questions about history, food, men, women, guns, countries, whatever you want to ask about, ask it and we'll have fun on Ask Dr. Jesse Fridays. The news is real light, to put it mildly, on Friday. (laughs) Sometimes I don't get to the news at all. So jesse at jessekellyshow.com. You can ask me stuff about me. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. We have fun on Fridays. You want to riff about frozen pizzas? We're all game for that on this show. Hang on. Your home title is possibly, probably, your biggest financial vulnerability. I mean, how much is your home worth to you? And I want you to imagine something. You've heard me say that before. I want you to imagine walking into your home tonight and informing your spouse, informing your kids, they need to pack up their things because you've been evicted from your home. That is not a scare tactic. That's what home title theft is bringing to the United States of America. Somebody has to pay that loan back. Somebody has to pay it back. It's your home. It's your loan. It's wiping people out. Don't let it happen to you. HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Don't forget to use the promo code JESSE. That gets you 30 days for free whenever you sign up. Feeling a little stocky? Follow, like, and subscribe on social at Jesse Kelly DC. Chris, we're going to turn through. I have a big stack of headlines, and we have to stop waiting until the end of the day on Friday to dig into the news. This is a very serious show. All right, we're going to have to dig into this a little. China peddling communist propaganda in the U.S. state and local governments. Pompeo says this is from freebeacon.com. You sound like a conspiracy theorist whenever you admit obvious truths that are out there now. And one of those obvious truths is this. 
China has been outstanding in infiltrating the United States of America's culture. They are all through Hollywood, which they censor. They're all through our university system. They're all through local politics. And look, you don't have to be nice about it. The Chinese government feels the same way about America that Democrats do. I know that it's not comfortable, right? You probably even cringed a little when I said that. Sorry, it's true. 877-377-4373 is the number. 877-377-4373. The Communist Party of China feels the same way about America the Democrats do. I don't like it. They want it ripped up, torn down. They're working towards the same common goal. So obviously, they're going to end up working together, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly. They're working towards the same things. It's the way it is. Headline, Trump announces a ban on woke capital working with U.S. government. This is from the National Pulse. The move is an extraordinary intervention in the cultural debate raging in the United States and further afield. Further afield. I don't know what that means, Chris. Dang it. See, this is where it hurts me when I went to community college. And doubles down on the president's announcement from earlier in September, wherein he banned efforts to indoctrinate government employees with divisive and harmful sex and race-based ideologies. He's essentially banning critical race theory, and that stuff from being funded by the U.S. government because your and my tax dollars have been used to fund these things at a government level. Again, they infected every single part of our culture. Headline, we hit this briefly yesterday. Princeton professor says, black people still live under slave codes. Quote, placing shackles around the feet of Jacob Blake amounted to a physical reminder that he was still, no matter the protests, a blank word, an N-word, he only he says it out loud, gosh, in the eyes of these policemen. Um, I think it says that he was a man accused of felony sexual assault and had a warrant out for his arrest. This, this stuff is poison. This is poisoning young minds to spread things like this out there. Because uneducated people, stupid people, they believe these things. And then, as you saw in Louisville last night, when two cops got shot, they act on these things. Good grief. Disneyland Paris visitor on a bad LSD trip falls into Adventureland Lake and turns up naked after a 130-person search. Okay. I'm going to sound like a huge square here, Chris. As everybody knows, I'm a bit not that. But this is why I don't understand a lot of drugs. And, And look, I understand drinking booze. Done plenty of it. 
I understand the devil's lettuce. Uh, full disclosure, smoked plenty of it. Metric tons of it in my lifetime. I understand uh, I understand pills. I understand pills. You know, I've, I had an emergency appendectomy before, and they gave me a big bottle of per- Percocet. I think it was probably all illegal now. And while it wasn't necessarily for me long-term because I just felt like I was in a fog, I certainly understood the appeal of it. You pop those things, you feel, you know, euphoric. It's, it's you know, it's essentially opiates. It's, it's heroin. And look, there's a reason people get hooked on it. It felt great. Again, I understand all that. I am definitely not encouraging it. That stuff will ruin your life. If you need to get help on it, get help on it. There's no shame in asking for help. Get help. No shame in that. But I get it. Right? I've done it. I get it. What I don't understand and what I've never understood is the hallucinogenic stuff that makes you see things and do things like strip off all your clothes and go swimming in Disneyland's Adventureland Lake. Chris, I mean, I, you're not a big druggie either, but I need somebody to explain the appeal. I don't get the appeal of it. I did. Look, I told you, you get honesty on the show. I understand that. I did uh, mushrooms one time. We were in the Marine Corps. We were, what, Chris? We can tell people honesty about stuff. Like I told you, I'm telling you. We were in Tokyo. We got to go party in Tokyo for a night, and you can buy them over the counter there. And I'd never done you know stuff like that before. And then somebody's like, ah, let's try these. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And like an hour later, I'm sitting on the sidewalk, just like, this is not, this is not in any way enjoyable. This is, I did not get the appeal at all. I don't, uh, Chris, explain the appeal to me of, of seeing things that aren't there and doing things. Is it, am I a loser? Am I a square? What is it? I don't get that at all. No, Chris said maybe I had a bad trip. No, I need to clarify, as you can imagine, because I'm such a sociopath, I'm not the paranoid type at all. And no, I wasn't paranoid. I wasn't nervous about it. I just didn't find it enjoyable. I'm seeing things. The lights are weird. The music sounds weird. I feel like I can't talk or I can't think at all. I, I didn't like that. I don't get it. Look, same experience with cocaine. I try. Are we, are we allowed to talk about this? I did cocaine once, and I thought it was terrible. I don't understand. I do not get how people get hooked on that. I was wide awake. I felt like my eyes were going to bug out of my head. I had you know, several beers. I couldn't feel those. I'm chomping on my gum. I'm up all night long. Maybe I just value sleep more. I, when that was done, I was like, I, don't, I do not get this one iota. What, Chris? Maybe I should be look. Maybe I should be grateful because that stuff ruin, ruins lives. But it wasn't one of those things of man that was really cool. But I'm never gonna do it again. It was that sucked. Never again. You could put a mountain of that stuff in front of me, and I'd be all, ah, I'm just gonna get a butt heavy. Does anyone have any Jim Beam? Like I don't understand that at all. But I don't. You know what? Obviously, as I as I said, I will never ever use your name. No one's ever going to know besides producer Chris who gets the emails in me. If you understand, I'm not saying you have to defend its use. If you understand the appeal of these hallucinogenic drugs, I want to know what the appeal is. I really do want to know. 
Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. I don't get it. I, I get a million and one bad habits. I, I understand it. Look, I have a million and one bad habits. I had tacos all three meals yesterday. Don't tell me about bad habits. And wash down the dinner tacos with whiskey. I know about being unhealthy. I get it. I'm not being judgmental. I want to know what the appeal is. Explain it to me. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Hang on. I love sleeping. It's one of the things I'm best at, not to brag. But I will tell you, ebb sleep has cheated me out of something. Because not only do I love sleeping at night, I have for a long time, because I wasn't sleeping that great at night, been an above average napper, a great napper. And now ebb sleep has me sleeping seven, eight, nine hours a night of natural sleep, not sleeping pills, natural sleep. Now I can't nap anymore. I'm too fired up. I've got too much energy during the day. During the day, I miss my naps, but I do have to give them props. It is nice to have energy all day long. You can have it too. Go to tryeb.com/jesse. That's tryeb.com/jesse. Use the promo code Jesse at checkout. That gets you twenty-five bucks off. Now, White House correspondent. That sounds so important. Emerald, so important. Emerald Robinson with Newsmax. Emerald, you call, you called the Durham investigation sham early on when everybody else on the yeah. right was dancing around the fire naked and celebrating because, as if this was some great thing. How did you know? It was just apparent that there was nothing going on. I kept talking to people who, you know, have been targeted in the Russia investigation. They had talked, a couple have, had actually talked to Durham's team, but they also just have their ear to the ground on, you know, who Durham exactly was talking to or who maybe the DOJ had reached out to. And they had not to date and still haven't reached out to, to most of the main players in the Russia investigation. They hadn't been, um, they hadn't been interrogated. So that was number one. And then we've seen several of those players uh, come out with book deals. Andrew McCabe got a, a contract on CNN as an analyst. You got Peter Strzok recently out with a book. And clearly they're not too concerned about what they're out there saying. Someone who could potentially be under criminal investigation would be a little more worried than they are to go out and talk on national TV, to do a media blast with a book. These people just don't seem to be afraid of anything, and it leads you to wonder, well, do they not have a reason to be afraid? And then more recently, we've not heard anything of grand juries being convened. And we know, of course, 
when it was Mueller's team uh, convening grand juries, we heard about it. Emerald. And then point blank, too, one more thing. The president himself takes the Twitter to blast the Durham investigation, to question what's going on. And about a week ago, in the press briefing room of the White House, I asked the president, you know, what's going on with the Durham investigation? Uh, he said he didn't know, that he doesn't know what's going on with it. He said what he was, you know, thinks should be happening. And I asked him, will there be indictments? Do you think there should be indictments? And the president inferred that he does think that there should be indictments, but he seems to not think that necessarily anything is going on. Oh, God. Well, if the president of the United States does not feel there's anything going on, that is probably a bad exactly. sign because I'm assuming he has some pretty good sources. Uh, Emerald, why? Now, Durham's reputation going into this, it was outstanding, and it was the kind of reputation why? that had taken on the Federal Bureau of Investigation before with all that crap they pulled with Whitey Bulger in Boston. It's not as if he's a shrinking violet. What what happened? Right. That's a really good question. I remember when uh, the president appointed uh, Bill Barr, and I, if I had a dime for every time somebody said there's a new sheriff in town on Twitter or even on the air suggesting that things at the DOJ were going to be really different, and they're just not. And, I mean, it, it's surprising to everyone. In fact, I talked to a White House aide uh, just two days ago who said that the DOJ is not just incompetent, they're subversive. So that's how the White House is the DOJ under Barr. Bill Barr, but he was selected by Donald Trump. Where are we missing? Where is Donald Trump? Where's this gap on the hiring process? Because, look, as everybody knows, I have a trillion things Donald Trump has done that I love. He's been the greatest of my lifetime in several areas. His hiring is indefensible. It is absolutely (laughs) abysmal. Why? Well, look, it was the original sin of the White House, um, of the Trump administration. He brought in Ryan Prius. He essentially made a deal with the RNC um, to get their support. You had Ryan Ryan Prius as chief of staff, and they got to make the hiring decisions. You had a guy named Johnny DeStefano who was out of Boehner's office, who was essentially a never-Trumper. If you look back at Slack messages of his aides, they had serious anti-Trump messages during the campaign when it was apparent that he was going to be the nominee for the Republican Party. One of DeStefano's aides essentially said, you know, hell is frozen over. This is the worst day ever. And they were going to have a drink. And that's the kind of people who were working in PPO and in uh, the Office of Personnel Management. And it just hasn't really gotten any better. Also, uh, Chris Christie let let the administration down on the transition team. He wasn't prepared to really staff. He was supposed to be the point person. He wasn't really prepared to staff it. And it fell to others who were more establishment types who were just the RNC. So you didn't get this uh, whole new, you know, outsider influence, what the president ran on, you know, draining the swamp. You got the swamp hiring the swamp still. Okay. I, I, and it just, it's, it's gotten a little bit better. So I do hear, Jesse, if there is a second term, there, there is there, there are there's different people at the PPO office now, and they are America first. They're very much in the president's corner. They still have factions that they have to fight, so they can't just go hire necessarily who they want. There's still powers that be that I won't necessarily name mm-hmm. uh, in the administration who they have to go through. Who still want to hire people who they they won't hire people they say are too MAGA 
you can be too MAGA to be in the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. Well, setting aside but in a second term, they feel like they can do better hiring. Yeah, no, no I'm never going to ask you to name Jared and Ivanka. That's just not something <laughs> I would do on the show. It all serious this. So give me some hope, Emerald. You say it's getting better. Could we actually yeah. see more in the second term? Look, I love a lot of these campaign promises. I love this 1776 yeah. commission. I love that he's right. eliminating this uh, critical race theory crap as much as possible. Are we going right. to see real advancement if there's a second term, or is there going to be four more years of this? Well, it's a good question. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's potential for more advancement. I do know that the president is not thrilled with the fact that a lot of his executive actions that he's, he's promised has not been done. And I will tell you that I saw a list that the president saw just a few weeks ago of the ones he said he's signing. And they've been held up at the White House Council um, and also at the DOJ's OLC office, Office of Legal Counsel. So the president realizes that his agenda has been thwarted by those inside. And while he's trying to make it through this election and get a second term, I think he is more open-eyed to what's going on into the second term. And it appears, based on what I have heard, he is being more hands-on with who's coming in and what's getting done. So I do think that there is more potential for America First Agenda to get done in a second term. What's the relationship like between Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump? Love, I mean, I would love to be on those phone calls mm-hmm. to hear Trump talk to McConnell. Um, I think it's the, I think it's a, a working relationship. I think they both are very clear of who each other are, and probably don't necessarily have a ton of love for one another. <laughs> but you know what? They're probably going to love each other a lot more over the next few weeks because if they can secure this uh, <laughs> this SCOTUS confirmation and seat another Trump justice on the bench before Election Day, they're both going to be feeling pretty good about one another. Are they going to seat that justice? I've been a king cynic on it. I still remain cynical on it. What's the Emerald Robinson inside baseball story? You know what? I think that a lot of – I do think more of the Republican senators want to play ball on this than they have with some of the other uh, Trump initiatives. When it comes to Supreme Court, it is very risky for these senators to vote against a, a pre, this president's Supreme Court justice pick. As long as the Republican base has been look, looking to turn the slant of the Supreme Court, I just – I think they know that there would be no mercy – for them if they thwart the president on this effort. I think even Mitt Romney understands that. Oh, wow. So even the women are all for it. All right. Thank you so much, Emerald Robinson. Much appreciated to you. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. Always good to talk to you. You too. All right. Emerald gave me some hope about some things and not so much about others. But look, she that lady has the scoop. Hang on. Jesse Kelly. Wake up and text. 
Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. brought up a good point about cocaine it's so costly cocaine and gambling are two things that no matter how much money you make you can spend it all on them you've seen you've seen it time and time again remember we just did that show on uh, uh sammy the bull and the gambino family the other day and john Gotti. Freaking John Gotti. I mean, I'm sure he could afford it, but running up half-million-dollar gambling debts and just not paying them back. Gambling, the more you make, the more you bet, the more the bets pile up. That's why I can't do it. I a gambling story, didn't I, Chris? I told you about my gambling story. I was a um, 19-year-old Marine, and I'd never been to Las Vegas before, and I have no money. I just, I don't have any money. I believe I had $600 to my name in total, in total. Checking account, young Marine, no money, 600 bucks. We take off for Las Vegas because we had, Las Vegas was a haul. I, I Shoot, I cannot remember how far it was away from our base, but it was a haul, four or five, six hours, I think, if I remember right. And we take off for Vegas, got my hands, not that I would recommend this, Got my hands on a, a, some false identification because you have to be t- what, Chris? We can be honest because you, so, you have to be 21 to get in the casinos. It's not a great piece of false identification, okay? But it works. And plus, I'm so tall. I'm 6'8". I've always been able to pull off being a little older. It's just easier when you're taller. But I get in. I've never... In my life, been to Las Vegas. I have the only gambling I've ever done is, you know, here's I'll bet five dollars on this football game or something every now and then. I've never been at a blackjack table before. Never played blackjack before. I pull out, I think I pulled out 50 bucks, maybe a hundred bucks. I think it was 50 though. And I sit down at the blackjack table. And it was, of course, one of the lower end. We were not at the Bellagio, or although I know they have brand new ones now. I haven't done Vegas in a long time. It's just not for me anymore. But I sit down at really one of the lower end, older casinos because there was only like a $5 limit on your bet there. And I'm like, a $20 limit? That's like half the money I have. I sit down and there's this sweet older lady who's a dealer. 
And to this day, I don't understand how this was legal. Maybe because I just wasn't. It's not like I was cast, call, uh, costing the house a bunch of money. But she essentially, I'm sitting there with my buddies. They're bringing us free drinks, which I thought was the most amazing thing in the world. Well, we don't have to pay for these, which, of course, everybody knows why they do that now. Yeah, please get a little drunk. It's on us. Oh, you want to keep gambling? Oh, that's fine. That's fine. But the lady, she teaches me how to play blackjack. And I mean, really will teach me as in like, I'll, I'll hit or I'll pass or I'll stay. And she's all, you know, no, 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 no. You want to hit there. No, you want to do th- No. And she's explaining why she's taking the time to teach me how to play blackjack. And I'm winning, which was the greatest and worst thing that could have ever happened to me. I end up, I still remember the number. I end up staring down at $270. Now, don't laugh at me. If you're a little better off financially, that's fine. At the time, $270 was a gargantuan amount of money to me. I was filthy rich. I could And so you walk away from that cuz we had to go eat and do some things thinking this gambling is the best thing ever. Look at how rich you can get. You know, it's in your mind. You won. You got that addictive little drug early on. You won. I did it. Woohoo! Several, several hours, several drinks, several midnight trips to the ATM in the casino later. I not only had lost all 270, my bank account was at zero dollars. I was such an idiot. I went and gambled away at the age of 19 every single dollar I had. You have to uh, you have to get a haircut every week in the Marine Corps. And sometimes you get it done up in the barracks. Or sometimes they have little spots out in town where you can go get a $10 haircut. I had to borrow $10 from my buddy to get a haircut on the way back into base. I was physically ill. When I had lost the last dime, my buddies weren't quite done yet. I went out to the car in the heat. It was the summertime without air conditioning on and just sat down in the car and just let myself sweat and almost vomited on the pavement, sick to my stomach at what an idiot I was. Greatest experiment of greatest experience that I ever could have gone through. It was because I have to this day, this was, oh gosh, I'm old, Chris. This was 20 years ago. Man, this was two decades ago. Gosh, I'm getting old. I have not gambled significantly to this day, nor will I. Gold is just necessary to have in your portfolio right now. Precious metals hold their value. And that's not even a capitalist thing, an America thing. That's the history of the world. 
Gold has value. It always has, it does, and it always will. And we know, we don't think, we know a market correction is coming. We just don't know when it's going to be. It could be tonight. It could be next week. It could be next month. We don't know, but we know one's coming. We've created this gigantic financial bubble with our absurd printing of money and the business closures, and that bubble's going to pop. When it pops, you're going to be wiped out if you don't have a gold IRA from Gold Alliance. Go to goldalliance.com slash jesse. That's goldalliance.com slash jesse. Go there today. Protect that retirement you've worked hard for. That's a painful, painful lesson. I'm glad I learned it. Like I said, to this day, it's not as if like I won't walk in a casino. I'll gamble. I've been to Vegas a couple times for for various work things. $100. $100. I sit down with 100 bucks. As soon as it's gone, I'm done. As soon as if I happen to make a little money on it, I'll take my 100, my original 100 in my pocket, never leaves my pocket. Gamble the rest of the time with house money. As soon as that's gone, I'm done. Man, maybe I am a square now, Chris. Dude, that hurt, man. That hurt bad. You don't forget that stuff. The entire show is podcasted right after the show on iHeart, Google, Spotify, on iTunes. Don't forget to email in your Ask Dr. Jesse questions. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. We're going to have a lot of fun tomorrow as we do. That's all. Kelly show Newton group transfer. They are here to help you. If you're stuck in a timeshare, these stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them. They're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out.
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.